You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Sholem. This is some of my best friends are Kabbalists. I'm here with Rav Nossin from Ashkelon, Eretz Yisrael. Rav Nossin, you know, I think we, uh, we created it. You know, I, I think there's, there's, there's the story and then there's the primary halacha. So one thing I think we're going to talk about, and I know it interests you, and, and I'm, I think most people who care about Tzipratius uh, Vatsarayim are interested in this as well, is um, the, uh, the importance of the plagues of the Makis and what they really accomplished vis-a-vis the Mitzrim. And of course, for Claudiusro. Now we've talked about what they've done for Claudiusro, um, how it changed them. But obviously, it was crucial for these makos to be unleashed. And we know that the makos go hand in hand with sort of a dialogue between Moshe and Paro, uh, where there seems to be like a a, a level of comprehension that Paro is getting about the nature of Elohim, of, of, of God, and what that God is. Paro seems to be aware of that, at least some idea of what God and created powers are. And yet, it seems like the Makos progressed to a point that it finally is the revelation that was necessary for the world. The other thing, sort of parenthetically in that, Nelson, is that we, we are, at least in the beginning, uh, we are uh, taught and shown about the reaction of the Khartoum Mitzrayim, right? The, 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 as we no, normally referred to as the magicians and the soothsayers. And it seems like based on the various Chazalin that uh, help the Psukim along, that, that Mitzrayim was sort of like the hotbed for Kishif, the hotbed for, for this. Um, and, and we know, of course, they were also, as we've talked about in previous uh, discussions, it was also the most sophisticated of societies. But on the same, on the same step, they were also the most sophisticated in their ideas of magic and the use of magic. And all of that seems to be part of the struggle of Klal Yisrael leaving Mitzrayim. So I know you want to talk about that. I think the other issue, which perhaps we could also use the springboard to explain is the primal distinction between chametz and matzah. Uh, I think you and I have talked about in the past, Nelson, the the Mitzrim's um, capacity and uh, inventiveness in the area of bread making and of what they did in terms of the use of various um, yeast and leavening agents and where they were at as far as that goes. And we know how essential the difference in chametz and matzah is. And uh, <laughs> the difference on Pesach between being chayv kores and not, of, like, like, like it, it is the ultimate no-no, chametz uh, Pesach. Um, and to, re- to understand why that is so from a Kabbalistic perspective. So I think, I think that's the table that we are, or at least that's the menu. What's on the menu. As far as I know from the readings in archaeology that I have, um, it's the Egyptians that are credited with actually inventing bread. You know, inventing the kind of, uh, you know, fluffy, airy bread that's, that's been, you know, fully leavened and fully raised. That is actually an Egyptian invention. So the idea of, of, um, overcoming the hashpa of Egypt and, and uh, doing so by skewing bread and, and eating matzah um, makes some sense uh, culturally and, and uh, sociologically. I guess what, I, what I'd like to start out with is, is something that we both know very well from the, uh, the uh, Rishonim, from the commentaries of, uh, of uh, say, Rambam and Ramban and, and Rabbeinu Bachaye and that whole, that whole generation that the real the real struggle between Am Yisrael and and uh, and Mitzrayim 
is the struggle between the idea that the universe has always been here, has never been created, it's just an eternally existing universe, and, um, and our idea of there being a created universe. And this is, um, you know, the Rambam in Meir Nevuchim makes, uh, makes a very strong point that, that um, the reason why creation is such an incredibly important thing is because if the world was not created at a point in time, then its nature would be immutable. If you had, a, if your universe was just, you know, created in infinity, so that it just always existed. So then the, you know, the laws of nature always exist. And then miracles become impossible. And, and, and the whole ability for anything, including to break into the world and, and do something unprecedented would be, would be limited. Because the world itself would be inviolable in terms of its in terms of its nature. It's an eternal universe. Okay? So the reason why we have to believe in creation is so that we can believe that something can happen that isn't pre-programmed into the you know into the nature of reality. That something unprecedented can happen. And of course, the unprecedented thing that happens is when Am Yisrael wakes up and realizes that they're free from Egyptian bondage, that would be something completely unprecedented in the ancient world and unprecedented in our own experiences. And I think, you know, part of the importance of that also is that, is that we have the privilege, you know, because of, because of Chazdei Shemaim, of course, you know, we have the, we have the privilege of, being able to view ourselves as the reason why the world was created in the first place. You know, we can, we can see ourselves as the purpose of creation. Now this, this very easily kind of slips into, um, uh, slips into a very narcissistic perspective on things, which is, which is also good to avoid. Because we're not given, you know, we're not the purpose of creation so that the world can serve us. Ha ha. Yes, I am the grand Puba. I've been in God's mind since the very beginning. I am Bechinas Yisrael and you can all worship me or, you know, at least at least give me lots of money and provide for all of my needs so I don't have to work anymore. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. We're, we're, we're unique in the universe. We're the purpose of the universe insofar as we are that which can call the universe back to HaKadosh Baruch who, create, who, who created it. Okay. But even even to be even to be the the center of the universe and even in in, a, in any kind of sense whatsoever, okay, the universe has to be created in time because if the universe is infinite, then there's nobody that's actually really special. If the world has been going on forever and ever and ever, this is a point point, point also made by the Balo Ikarim. If the universe has been going on forever, then nobody is unique. You can't say that I'm, you know, that that I or you or I'm Yisrael or anything is something is something unprecedented because there's no such thing as unprecedented. It's all been around forever. Yeah. yeah. So, so Nelson, I, Nelson, I think that um, you know we are familiar with this, obviously. You know, when we when we look at the Aseret Adibros and we hear that you know Anech Hashem Olikecha Asher Tzicha Meretz Mitzrayim, right, where God predicates, you know, our understanding of of his existence based on, as you say, you know, the, the miraculous changes that occur, right? And even when it comes to Shabbos, right? As we see, mm-hmm. you know, the two aspects that we, uh, we, we, we come to grasp God based on the fact that, you know, things were created and it wasn't always this way. And the, the, the Nisim of Itzias Mitzrayim, as I said in the introduction, are meant to sort of like instill that within us. I guess what, I guess the first kasha I would ask, and I know you have an answer to it, is that you know the Mitzrim, if they, if their mentality is based on the eternality of the world, that there is what we call, you know, the Olam has always been here. The Kadmus Olam in the right. language of the Rishonim. Right, the Kadmus Olam. Right. So I mentioned before in the intro that. You know, Paro seems to understand gods. He seems to understand powers. Um, magic itself uh, is change, right? The you know the stick is a snake, right? This thing is not what it appears to be. This, right? Um, and that would would seem to say, oh, well, that's a miracle. Look how this happens. But you have an argument, and I think that's I, I think a very interesting one, or at least an understanding how, despite the fact that 
there is changes and things that are going to happen. Those that doesn't lead you to the idea that, like for us, a nace indicates God's power gets us back to the cre- God is the creator of Yesh Mayayan. Why doesn't it work that way for the Mitzrim who also believe in these? Ah, well, I think, yeah, that's that's a wonderful question, and 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 uh, it's one that I actually I've I've asked myself uh, on quite a few occasions because, you know, it when you read the Pshat and the Pasuk, it doesn't doesn't look like it's a battle between between a frozen cosmic um, uh, rationality versus something something spontaneous that can come in there and happen. And to, you know that will completely transform you. That, that that's not the way you know that's not the way that the story reads. The story first of all starts out as being a struggle between uh, between as you say is between magic and nisim. You know how you know Hakadosh Baruch Hu comes mitzad hanes as the creator, and the Egyptians are working with magic, and it's gonna, so so let's going to see who you know who wins this who wins this battle, right? and. Um, it really, it really also goes. I think, I think the theme of magic is not completely is not completely finished by the first three makas. When at the end of the first three makas, the Khartoumim are ready to are ready to hang it up, and they say, you know, Esbelikim, But I don't think that Paro is willing to give it up because Paro, being a deity of sorts and having his having his own belief in the magic of his authority, okay, hasn't hasn't you know quite willing, quite been willing to renounce that yet. You know, and it's only it's only when you when you kill the firstborn that that uh, that Paro is willing to is probably willing to let go and say, you know what, magic is dead. Okay, our 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 whole religious system is dead, and you can go. Right, because whatever happened, whatever we believed in, has now been supplanted by something by something else. So, what is the something else, and how does that how does that look from the from the Egyptian perspective? Okay, it's. You know, since it's not an easy question, it's a que- it's a question that really would have been impossible to even think to answer in any in any way, because people just didn't know enough about what Egyptians really believed. Okay, and so so how would you how would you answer the question about how did these how did the T.S. Mitzrayim look from for, look from an Egyptian point of view and what what was really the struggle ideologically? I mean, we can know our side of it. But we can't necessarily know the Egyptian side of it unless we have some, you know, some access to what they were actually thinking. So I definitely intend to get back to this, but I just want to make one one point going back to the Kadmus Oilam versus versus the the Chidush Oilam, is that this is intertwined and and this this is going to remain constant also even according to whatever other pshat we say that the Egyptian point of view is really wrapped up in Chometz. And our point of view is really wrapped up in matzah. A world which is created is matzah, in the sense that there's no time. A world which is infinite or kadmon is endlessly blown up. Okay, and and in that respect, the universe is a, is a, is a, is a shtikhametz. At least when you take a look at it from from that point of view. And if we if we if we want to believe that Hakadosh Baruch will create the world at a point in time. So that he can reach through that time and touch the hearts of Am Yisrael and bring them in, the, bring them in this level of awareness that they would never have been able to achieve in any in any other, you know, in any in any other framework. Right? Then, you know, that involves that itself involves a kind of chipazin, a kind of jumping through time. And the opposite of that is when you start thinking of the universe as as a as a uh, eternal universe, then you know. Time keeps on expanding, you know, so therefore you, you lose your sense of specialness, you lose your sense of purpose, you lose your sense of being somebody for whom the world conceivably exists. Right? And then you and then you fall into the nun shari tuma, you know, or the 50th gate of tuma, and you, you know, you lose the whole thing. Um, so I just I'm gonna just say one little one little thing about about Hamitz here, and that is that the argument from Aristotle is basically a very simple one that if I if I try to think of about the beginning of the universe then invariably I have to ask what came before that so how do I answer that well more of the same that came before that and that came before that and that came before that so even if you think in terms of a, a creation that happens let's say let's say creation happens right now but creation unfolds infinitely in both directions future future and past because because you know 
let's say Aristotle didn't believe that infinity was possible, but he did think that successes, successive infinity across time is possible. So basically, you start thinking about the past and you're going, okay, well, yesterday, well, what happened before yesterday, the day before yesterday, what happened before that was the day before yesterday, you get all the way back to Boratius, well, what happened before that, we well, got to say something. So it doesn't make any sense to say that there was some other mysterious thing that happened. It's just a more, you know, more yesterday. And and therefore, this I, I think there's a very you know subtle relationship between the expanding ficha, you know, that expanding, rising, bubbly, um, uh, you know, bubbly fermenting dough, which tastes really, really, really delicious. Okay, versus the 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 unleavened flat bread without space in it. Okay, so the, the bread without space and it means chipazun. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is jumping through time to touch us because time has the beginning and it's just a little leap, you know, versus a time that is so expansive that it has no beginning and even Hakadosh Baruch Hu couldn't jump through it. Kaviyachal, right? So chametz and matzah are very closely related to these themes, and I think that one way or the other, you know, you have to give the you have to give the uh, the uh, um, the Rishonim, who are working basically with Aristotle, you know, versus versus Torah, uh, but you have to give them credit for really nailing that one, at least on at least on that level. So I just yeah, you know, I, I, well, look, Nelson, no, you could probably argue the opposite, and you could probably say that a world that's created, you know, is going to have a sense of newness, freshness. Wow, this is something that hasn't been here before. <laughs> That's going to be yummy, right? That's not going to be just this flat thing. Um, you know, whereas a world that is eternal, that ultimately has no beginning and has no end and just is, that's why would of, that be delicious? Is what you're asking? You no, know, what I'm saying is, you know, is when, 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 that delicious? You know, you know, you many of these morality tales when they speak about how these these eternal beings are 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 up, are in this constant state of boredom because because there is no there is no thrill of life. You know, they're these all they are is this eternal constant, and there's no beginning and no end, and everything is in in a sense all similar as a being that is created and has an end to it, the moments of, of, of novelty become exciting. So therefore, one could actually argue and say, oh, this is nice and fluffy. Newness and is more delicious. Right. And, and right. by definition, because whereas if you know you're just going to keep on being and it's just going to last continuously, everything flattens out. A part of, you know, part of why we love the spring why do we why do why do we love the aviv? Is because it represents oh, now it's green, now it's more sunlight, now we hear birds when we didn't hear them before. There's there's a sense of life finding a way, pushing through stuff that. Um, you know, whereas when we deal with a a constant, okay, uh, just wait, you'll see that that'll happen again next I, next time. Okay. Well, I listen. To, first of all, I understand. I think the question is very is very good because um, you know we know that chametz is delicious and matzah is relatively eh, you know, and therefore if you were to if you were to think about what is more delicious, the tantalizing you know newness of the present moment or the or the altic farkvetsta thing that's been around forever. Okay, you'd say the thing that's been around forever is pretty is is is, is pretty untasty, and you know, and I think actually you have a very good question. Could be, I, could be that matzahs, matzahs, matzahs is actually tasty because we have only the cracker stuff. You know, we have. No, you're right. Really right. The Ashkenazim, the Ashkenazim have and based, <laughs> killed matzah. based on the chumras of in 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 in, in and the worrying of of of, of getting it right mm. and oh we have to make it this way plus the idea of mass producing it has um, resulted in a much different matzah than they ate when they left Mitzrayim. I've, I've had, agree. I've had, I've had soft, I've had soft matzah. Okay, we, we, you know. Um, so much of halacha, especially halacha Shabbos and others, you have, you have malachas hapas, right? There's malachas, you know, right, right, in, in, in the, mm -hmm. right, the lamatas malachas, which we know, and we've talked about often, represent, human creativity right the creativity that's that is not, you are not allowed to do on shabbos so much of it is 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 connected to how you make bread right and what you know mm -hmm. of course part of it you could say is making matzah as well you know because matzah you go through pretty much the same steps but 
if bread making is really in a way the pinnacle of creativity, of human creativity, right? And because that's what's seen. And then you see this in other midrashim as well, when they talk about this is what man needs to do to be marshal in the world. I think Rabbi Akiva and, and, and Artonis Rufus right. had some right. discussion about Tonus this. Rufus. Right, right. The question was, Right. And, and look at look, look what we do with Lecha and look what we do with this and look how we develop it. And you're right, it doesn't have to have chametz in it. But clearly, you know, that is part of man's goal, creativity. It doesn't seem to imply, uh, you know, you, you are basically just a being that is here and you'll always be here. And the, like you say, the frozen paralysis of, of eternality. As opposed well, to the freshness, because it seems like it bear, seems like bear, bear in mind, bear in mind, however, that if you if you take if you take the eternal, you know, the the eternal concept um, as the framework, then people have always been making bread. These are these are things that have always been happening because human beings have always been here. Human beings have always been making bread. Nobody ever invented it. It's like natural to us. And and it's and and basically society is not going to develop any new technologies either. Which, by the way, if you think about it, the 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 number of societies that actually develop new technologies is one, at least at least lately. Okay, <laughs> and that that one has got the, the society that probably has the strongest influence of of Judaism, howbeit by a circuitous circuitous route that had not that much to do with us. But anyway, I'll call I'll call upon him. I just so I yeah I hear I hear the question and, and I and I understand it. It could be, you know, it it could be that um, that uh, altazachan are tastier than we think. But the the biggest riot to this is the is the iser sa'or. Because what is sa'or? Sa'or generally in in you know in the ancient world and in a lot of places today, um, you know there are there are uh, whatever they're there's sourdough. Uh, utensils okay that can go back 500 years and people didn't people didn't change this this was this was the foundation of bread and they kept it from generation to generation to generation they just fed the yeast little bits of flour to keep it you know to keep it going yeah. right so the idea that that so where did the original sore come from well before there was this sore there was another sore there was previous there was so a previous you're, you're saying that if they would if they would if they would trace the dna so to speak of the of the sourdough that made your challah it could probably be traced back a millennia in the bazillions right so so because the Torah tells you okay Get this, get this or out, eliminate it, or be whatever, whatever you do to it. But, but you know that itself seems to be like you know carving out a place for a created universe instead of the steady, steady state, eternal universe. So anyway, it. I think. Listen, I think. I think it works quite nicely. Aside from your have a real concept of history, like they were just kind of like living, you know, living day to day, living in the sort of living in the present in a sense. They didn't really think very much about the past or the future. They just had what's going on right now. And what was going on right now were these cycles of time, starting with the daily cycle and and the yearly cycle. The cycle of agriculture was was extremely important to them because their life depended on the Nile and the flooding of the Nile and 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 planting at the right time for planting and harvesting at the right time for harvesting. And they had a they had a calendar which actually was completely focused on on Getting the timing, getting the timing right for for planting and harvesting and waiting. So the idea that time is not a straight line, that the time is actually a circle, or many, many, many circles played out, you know, simultaneously sometimes. Okay, that was pretty fundamental to an Egyptian person's appreciation of time. Um, and uh, we see similar things, Lahavdil, as we say, I love Havdalis, you know, by, by Shemitas and Yavilis, there's, you know, the, the expanding cycles of time, you know, starting from the day to the week, to the month, to the year, to the, you know, um, to the Shemitah, to the Yavil, etc. So time is, in, is, is, a, is a, a series of cycles that interact with each other and which repeat. Now, the Egyptians also had a so that that 
that kind of time they called nehe seems to be the word um and Similarly, the, the hieroglyph for, for Nehe is a picture composed of candle wicks, which apparently symbolize night, water, and the rising sun. It's really weird, you know, it's a, kind of a weird configuration, but what it does, it does kind of give you the idea of, of the passage of, of phenomenal time. You know, first there's day, then there's night, then the sun rises, and... Um, and of course, the, where does where does the water come in? Well, the water has to do with the Nile rising and falling. So, so this kind of this kind of time is very um, you know is is very circular. The, the other kind of time is called Jet, or maybe Vet, which would be Dalid Dalid Taf. Interesting, um, and that means that for them means eternity. And eternity is interestingly enough, it's it's the symbol of a snake climbing over a loaf of bread <laughs> that's sitting on an island. Mm. Okay, go figure that one. Mm. So so the so the so the theme of bread is really in the is really you know part of that e configuration of eternity. So and eternity is kind of like the place where the uh, where the supposed deities of Egypt dwell. You know and it is also the place of fulfillment. So the way that they're conceiving of this is that is that really we're all existing in an infinite number of time bubbles, which recycle all the time and build off one of another. But these time bubbles are moving towards an inclusion in some kind of completely changeless eternity. Yep. And that's, and that's that might and that's, be the place. That's the jet. That might the be the vet. place. And that might be the place where the the paros went, right? That might, that's the place where. Oh, of course. I'm saying, and and when we look, one of the the great mysteries. I don't know if archaeology has solved it. Is the the pyramids, right? And yeah, and and clearly, you know, the idea of the structure of the pyramid and the um, entombing of mm -hmm. the the monarch. In the pyramid, indicates that basically you're, you're going to the eternal place, right? Which not, is and not a, their 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 concept of eternity also has to do with bodily eternity. That's why if you can like if you can if you can take a living person, okay, and freeze dry them, such that they become completely immobile, immovable, motionless. That's right. Uh, mummifying, mummifying was the mummy. The mummifying was like the cyrogenics in their mind, right? That puts you into the state of eternity, and, and, you, and you, so you could ask a big kasha on the Egyptians, "What is this? You, you, this this is an eternally living body, but it can't move, it can't breathe, it can't see." It, and then, and then, you know, so the Egyptian magic had a fundamental principle to it, which was the more useless something is in the real world the more powerful it is in the eternal world, which is why, you know, you had Egyptian tombs. They were always filled with like painted doors or you have an Egyptian sarcophagus. There was eyes painted on the sarcophagus. Now what good is a painted eye in the real world? Well, no good whatsoever, but, but in the, in the spirit world or in the eternal world, that those are, those are the eyes of Pyro and he's seeing and he's you know and he's alive so he's absolutely alive at the moment that he's com some completely immobilized that that he's turned into basically a a a piece of i don't know wood freeze dried paro but if they could if they could if they knew how to freeze dry they would have right so so alkoponim that gives you some idea of the of this thing emphasizes our building those things in other words you could you know the standard take is oh let's just keep these guys busy oh yeah let them just build all these stupid things okay yeah but the way you are explaining it that involving us in building this was also changing our mentality or at least concretizing the mentality to the eternal world you it would be foolish to think that they just went to work like robots and said, okay, give me that brick. They they knew what they were building. The, the, it wasn't just more straw, you know, put that straw in, I'll just beat you up. 
this is what their jobs were. And, 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 you know, and, and therefore they were mentally attuned to the purpose of what they were building, Claudius Yisrael. And if, yes. if, this, if, if they were, if they were building these R.A. Muscones, Leparo, which were not storehouses, but places that you would live in the eternal. So that is what was inserting itself hand in hand with all the sweat and labor was what are we building for what purpose? Look, the psychology of human beings hasn't changed. When you have workers, you know, obviously you tell them what it is that you're building. You don't say, dog, shut up. I'm just going to bang you on the head and just put that brick there. What, what they were, they, the propaganda of what, was, what, what they were involved in had to seep in uh, to them. Yes, they didn't have much of a choice, but if you wanted them to come back the next day, you probably had to, they probably were in tune to what was going on. And I yes. think, and I think therefore, when we talk about how the Avdus, normally you say, oh, the Avdus, they just turned them into robots. They just couldn't even think, you know, it was just a vote kosher. They were just, I don't know, let me just get up and do it. I think that if, 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 if part of what Mitzri culture was about, um, you know, concretizing and, and, and constantly opening and, and, and insisting about their worldview, then the obvious to that would also uh, turn us into believers. In, 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 in there would be a payoff. There's, there's a payoff to that. I'm, I'm, you know, I think that there's a really open question. What, what Am Yisrael or what B'nai Yisrael were doing in, in Mitzrayim? What were they building? You know, because generally big funerary structures and temples and important things were not built were not built with mud bricks. Mud, mud bricks were like residential things for, you know, for for stomp people or maybe storage facilities, whatever you call it. But it, it, on some level, doesn't matter because since you're working for Paroi, so whoever works for Paroi is is mitzarif to his you know to his changeless eternity. Eternity. So it's it's a kind of his kalos. And in all probability, the people the people that built the pyramids were very happy and very, you know, very, um, very ecstatic uh, to be doing all that hard labor, because because how uh, how how else would a little tiny nothing like me be mitzarif and be part of 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 the eternity, if not by hanging on to hang on to Pare. And by the way, if you, if you remember the Navu of Yecheskel, which is, you know, where he, where he's talking to Pari Melech Mitzrayim, he's calling him a crocodile and I'm going to take you out of your river and all of the fish that are stuck to your scales and all the maggots that are stuck to the fish that are stuck to your scales. And okay. That's, that's kind of the, of, of all of these people that are Nichlal in this, in this, um, in this mythological edifice. So here, so here's the, here's the, here's the, crux of the matter the crux of the matter is that it's it's magic that holds the whole thing together now where do the where do the egyptian deities where do the god you know the liturgy of course where do the gods come from the netarim by in in egypt right so you have several different variations of of who these deities are what their what their mythological creation stories are and you know all deities can come from someplace that doesn't that doesn't mean that they aren't eternal they just they they have to cause themselves to emerge somehow. And the Egyptian deities, like the one the Amun, which by the way means the hidden one. It's very, it's very, it's very curious. There's there's some Egyptian connections you know, that I don't even want to go into. I'm scared to you know, scared to say anything about them. But but um so Amun was the was the was the hidden deity and he had the he had he was the ram headed um god, you know. And and he self-created out of the primordial chaos. So basically all the Egyptian mythology is, first of all, there's this primordial chaos. Where does it come from? What does it do? We don't care because we don't like the primordial chaos. The chaos terrifies us. We're scared of the chaos. One thing that Egyptians do not want is chaos. They want predictability. They get they get used to this because the Nile is extremely predictable. So everything that's predictable makes Egyptians happy. Everything that's conceivably chaotic does not. It makes them very unhappy. Right. So out of the primordial chaos, the main deity, whichever one you want it to be, emerges by self-creating. Go figure how that works. It's paradoxical, but okay. You know, in mythology, that that's kind of thinking is permissible. And and 
you know, so the deity founds the, the, uh, the, you know, divine pantheon. Okay. And this pantheon itself evolves up and, you know, up until it, it enters into eternity and then becomes part of the eternal, you know, the jet uh, time frame. Now, what happens in the meanwhile is that this, you know, out of these cycles keep on bubbling up an infinite number of cycles that keep on bubbling up. So functionally, the Egyptians were quite probably didn't, they didn't think historically, they didn't think that history had a beginning or it had an end. It's just all completely steady state. It's just that reality bubbles up from the, you know, from the chaos through the power of the magic of the gods, because it's the magic that keeps the whole thing, keeps the whole thing going. And Part of the magic, of course, is that there's one there's one deity, okay, which is usually a, which is usually spelled uh, um, Shin Taf or Seth, um, who is the embodiment of chaos. So there's, there's there's one deity that actually embodies chaos. But the whole the whole point of Egyptian religion is to negate this deity, keep him far away, to keep him neutralized, to kill him, to kill him eternally, okay, so that the chaos never never invades the um, the sphere of the stability. So th- right. that, w- that that sort of implies that when when the Makos get unleashed and Paro is 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 huddling with his think tank, they're probably if they are believers, they're probably thinking that it's Seth that's being unleashed against them, right? Yeah. As a matter as a matter of fact, I may I may as well say this: there have always been consistent rumors in the ancient world that. There's an image of a, there's a statue of a donkey in the Kodesh Kodeshim that Jews worship by doing unspeakable things to it. Where this comes from is kind of just sort of some sort of popular idea in Egypt and also, you know, in all sorts of places in the Levant. But when you consider that this deity, that is the deity of chaos, has the head of a donkey. And not only that, I'm, I mean, this is uh, this is from the work of some of an Egyptologist called Jan Asman, who actually I had the I had the pleasure of meeting him once upon a time. And and you know, when Egyptians listened to to Yidden say pronounce the shame of Aya, to them it sounded very much like the braying of a donkey. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So it comes out that we're actually much more connected to the chaos. Than they would than they would appreciate and 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 therefore you know they I guess they were trying to do us a favor to to pull us out of this chaos that we that we're that we're living in but but uh, well we we see Paro actually when he's sort of like uh, almost in he's a concerned he says you know you know why, 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 you're going out you're going, <laughs> you know why why kill yourselves you you know you're going you're you're going after the deity of chaos. Chazal actually, of course, don't do it. And Chazal make sure to actually tell us that it isn't just I don't want to let him go. Paro did see something that Paro saw. Yeah, Paro, cares. Paro, Paro saw the 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 slaughter that occurred uh, at Diego. He saw other things. These were things that 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 he had predicted, right? Whether it was the mm-hmm. Magefa by Benoist Midian, or as I said before, so the people dying. He wasn't in the entirely wrong. I mean, by the way, some of the modern scholarship say, you know, ki kira neged panechem is is, uh, is actually the is actually the deity ra. Although Paro at that point, I don't know, was he was he yeah Amun Ra? There's you know, two, you know, the two the two deities were often were often conflated. Um, but I've, um, I've heard that. I'm just, but I, there's another thing I want. But I, I think I think I think yeah, I think I think that what you're saying is is a lot more is a lot more relevant because. You know, Paro is Paro is trying to be nice to us. He's trying to say, "Listen, you guys, you guys are deluded. You, you're you're following the deity of chaos. That can never end well. Stay here where the structures are total, where the magic is powerful, where everything, where the universe holds together. If you if you go off the derech, ruuki ra'aneged pedechem. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I would say some. Uh, there's another point here. It's one of my favorite. Um, on the Haggadah. I might have shared it in this forum last year, but um, that if God didn't take us out, we and our children and our grandchildren would all be Mishubit to Paro Mitzrayim. 
And most people are happily happy believers, I guess, you know, right. Most people in this passage of the Haggadah say, oh, come on. Right. You know, and I think even the Barbanel and others already said things, of course, things sort of change. What do you think? It's if if God didn't take us out, look how look how the world has changed. You don't think there would be a a revolution. There wouldn't have been something. Right. Um, So Rav Cook. Why did the world change? So Rav Cook says, you know what? Had there not been this moment. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and bringing us to Torah, the world would have basically been exactly the same. It would have stopped and it would have stopped in its tracks. What we call progress, whether it's intellectual, moral, um, industrial, inventive progress, was because of the battery of power that God inserted into the world through the connection to us. In other words, basically what you would have had was is stasis. Now, how did it get up until that point? I, I, I don't know, right? But we would, you're right, there would not have been, you know, um, uh, statesmen speaking about the universal rights of man. There would not have been necessarily objects of great convenience that would have alleviated the need for human labor the way it was in that time. We would have actually been, in other words, the world, the civilization had reached its apex and would have been unchanging. And that is what Rav Cook postulates based yep. on the simple meaning of the words, which I think Rav Cook, Makubo that he was, yep. understand there, I think that this really ties into what we're talking about that oh. that that had we not had god not gotten involved you would have basically had a world that would be ex- pretty much exactly the same as it is now thousands of years later would have been pretty much um the uh, uh you know indistinguishable from that world now right. so i have to i was just going to say one one more well one from our point of view, is that chaos is ein saif baruchu varshmoi. As we're much more comfortable living with the living with the chaos, because we can live, we we love Hakadosh Baruch Hu enough to endure the fact that there, we can't comprehend what's going on. We don't know. We don't really know who he is. To to follow Hakadosh Baruch Hu is to essentially go off on a on a path of a high degree of unpredictability and you have to follow him with a lot of with a lot of emuna no matter what he does and so our ability to accommodate has to do with our tolerance for the chaos that egyptians could never tolerate and that is and that's why I mean, you know, really, that's the mahalach of 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 Mitzrayim is to you know is to let Hakadosh Baruch Hu into the universe that we were perceiving at the time, and and to let Hakadosh Baruch Hu be mavatil Mitzri culture from from within. So I think the, I think you know the 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 purpose of the of the makas is to is to thwart or undo or disprove Egyptian magic, which it does on the simple level. After the first three makas, as we as we all know, but it still doesn't touch necessarily Paro, and I think that what gives Paro his 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 hardened heart, aside from Akadosh Baruch Hu's intervention here, is the idea that he's still thinking of himself as a magical being. Okay, and it's only really by makas bechiris that that the magic of Paro is killed in his in his own mind. Now, why do, what does that have to do with bechir? Because remember that they're worshiping Amun. Amun is routinely referred to as the firstborn of the gods because he's the one that created himself out of the out of the chaos. So if you can, if you destroy the power of the Bechoyer, then you've really killed, you know, Egyptian magic. So as long as as long as Pyro could imagine himself to be the son of the Bechor, because he's not, he's, you know, I mean, he's a Bechor himself, of course, but he's mostly Pyro because he's the he's the extension of the deity Amun, who is the real Bechor. And killing all the Bechorists in, in Mitzrayim is really Bechol 
Elohim Mitzrayim Esheshvotim, right? And that's what kills the magic, and that's what gives us gives us release from Mitzrayim. But the yeah, thing yeah. that we're the thing that we're doing is that we're really really learning to accommodate the chaotic Ein Soif, which looks like chaos, but if you really have a sense of going into its panemias and accepting it for what it is, it's a Kaddish Baruch HaBachavayde V'Atzmai. Okay. I, I, it's a very, I, I, very I, I, difficult, I, I, very difficult thing to follow a Kaddish Baruch. Yeah. Right. I, I just want to add to that point, Nelson, that you know, we we when we talk about the significance of the Bukhar, um, it's more than just that he's the first. In any um, family setting, and you know this because you are the oldest, I wasn't, but you know that the Bukhar, in a way, creates the family mythos for the other children as the firstborn, the assuming, let's say the family, imagine a family of four or five. The oldest child mm -hmm. in a way is the bridge to the parents, but also among the children is the one that sort of sets the theme for what this family is about. This sort of creator in a way of, mm -hmm. of how the family dynamic is set up. So the B'chorim aren't, you know, they, you know, they represent in many ways um, the order and the, cre the that order of, as you say, you know, the, the sense of this is, the, they are the self-creators, right? Um, and that yeah. is, and, and, and that is part of why their death is, you know, the, as you say, the complete, um, emasculation of evisceration of, of, of the Mitzri mindset. What's interesting though, of course, is that we know that as the Nitziv and others point out, that simultaneously to the evisceration of the Mitzri mentality, the Bukharim of Yisroel become actualized. And once again, we have this subtle difference. Kadeshli Kol Bukhar. Right. Which emerges out of that, yeah. Right. So you would think, hmm, why should the Bukhar be Notopishnayim? Why should a Bukhar be the ones that are, are the Oivdim? Um, why, right? Because in that, it, it, like we're talking about, you know, true, B'ni Bukhar Yisrael, right? But doesn't that really show that you don't need to be the actual first beings? And yet, as the Sforno points out so famously and magnificently, when he talks about you know, the vidui maestros that occurs in the Torah uh, details for us in Parshas Kisovo and saying, well, what, what, are you, what are you saying? Why is this a, a vidui, a confession? And the Sforno says, because we still have not returned to the system of Bechor. Right? In other words, mm. he says that, you know what, we're being misvade. Okay, yeah, we did it correctly. We gave it to the Kohanim. We did all the tithing that was proper. But we, but we didn't give anything to the Bechairis. Or we have not restored that original situation of the Bechairim being from each family. He, he mentioned that. That's quite that amazing. I, yeah. In other words, I, we had to go outside of the family unit to, to discover the Kohanim who become this separate caste. But really, had we really done our avoda properly, the Sforno says, we would have a return to the original state of things, which is the Bechor, each family. Um, and it's, it, 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 it's, it's and, and, which is what Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was about. And, and that's why he says that, you know, the, you know, it's still there in potential. Uh, you know, the, the Kedushas Bechor, as we do Pidyon Aben. But we haven't yet eliminated this this other system. And that is why we're being misvade, as great as what mm. we did. So that is, a, a, by the way, that Sferno has been, has been dealt with in recent times, but it was well known that the Rav Chaim Salvechik and others were very upset about that piece. You know, and they felt it was, it, it's mentioned by the Taisas Yontif, in Meiser Shene, I believe he mentions it mm -hmm. when he talks about Vidui, but there, the, the, there's always been a a, a a pushback against it. I think that you know I'm just throwing that in, in terms of I think is Bechinas Chametz. Okay, when you look at that process of all these little circles, these these little time bubbles, rising up, and becoming the eternal 
you know, uh, Jed universe of timelessness, which really is eternal, which is really apparently huge enough to accommodate as many lives as you want to stick in there. You know, just like just like Paro in death is able to accommodate as many Egyptian lives as there ever were that worked on it, that worked on his tomb and made it and made it possible. Mm-hmm. That that that's the process of leavening, which is which is the site of Hamid that a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants us to to denounce. Okay, and I still I still think the idea of matz and the idea of chipazon go to, go go together because chipazon is something that here comes and definitely smashes the the system of timelessness and and breaks it down and says no you know timelessness is not the goal we're going to break through timelessness we're going to get to something else even if that something else is is seems like chaos and death but it's really it's really and by the way this this connects to satira, you know with, with the union of paraduma that we should have mitzvahs that, that are that are seemingly senseless there's probably a very strong egyptian connection to paraduma also you know, um, yeah. I, I would also I'm not even when you talk about down this, it, but I yeah. I got to tell you one last more. That also comes out of the Egyptian experience. Ma pitom that a chamor has kedusha of any kind. Why are you being paid a chamor? And answer because the Egyptians associated the chamor with the chaos and the, and the chaos with the, with yud kevavke and and therefore. Showing the world that this chaos is not just something evil; it's something, it's something divine, and you have to, and you have to accept its influence in your life, and you have to follow it, however difficult and terrifying that would be for an Egyptian type person. But we have to go to Eretz Yisrael, where, where you know, sometimes it rains and sometimes it doesn't, where there's no Nile to rely on, where predictability is not uh, is not the most important thing, because that's where Kadosh Baruch Hu lives. So. Yes. There we go. That's Chametz and Matzah. I have to know. Yitzhak Mitzrayim was Chipozon and to also eat, you know, with Maklechem, Biadechem, the Chogur, Al Masnechem. Masnechem, Chagurim, Maklechem, Biadechem, So, my, I think anybody, even if they don't study in depth the ancient cultures, can recognize that a normal meal did not happen that way. The idea of a meal was unbuckle your belt, right? Take mm-hmm. your shoes off, you know, put that makel. Put your stick down. Put that stick, <laughs> put down, your stick down, right? But, 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 which is really, again, a suda, right? Yeah, that's the, you know, which is what we're used to based on the Gemaras, how long they lasted, whether it's the Gemaras in Shabbos, the Gemaras in Psachim, indicate to us that this was a long, you know, we, we are sort of used to this, you know, for us, the modern world, we're always got our right? We, we're, we're looking at our phones, we've got our shoes on, we're, we've got 10 minutes for lunch, and now we're out the door. But, but for that world, and I'm just suggesting here, that for that world, um, part of the, you know, idea of if we, if we put chametz with timeless uh, you know, chametz is all about timelessness. Then the meals can stretch on, right? The meals could stretch on for hours, and of course, well, you, in the timeless realm, you know, you're you know you're sitting with Paro and you're having the timeless meal of pure pleasure and whatever. Right, know. but 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 it, it, it would not. You would not very want, slowly. That's right. You would not want to ruin it. With uh, you know, with your shoes and your and your girdle and your staff, I would also say, Nelson, that one of the things that I think has come down to us, we we have uh, we have sort of like jettisoned in most cultures, the um, uh, you know the 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 luster and opulence of the seder night. Chassidim still do it in a way. Um, but the ideas of you know uh, sitting on couches and right, but what we mm-hmm. what we have retained, I think even in, in spades, is we got to finish by a certain time and you got to eat the matzah by certain minutes and we got to hit chatzos. So it's interesting that that element, although we don't have the makel and we don't have the right, but, but one thing I think that the the hashkocha has indicated is how crucial. That zman is. We better. Are, you, are we making chutzlis? Are we going to make it? Okay, we're going to make it. All right. 
All right, remember everybody, quiet now. Chew on your matzah. Okay, you got it? All right. Um, and I think that that is something which, you know, for many people, they say, well, what type of Seder is this? You know, you are, you're, you're in a way like, you know. Uh, like, yeah, you wouldn't, know. Be, wouldn't it be better if the Seder just lasted and lasted and lasted? Right, right. It, it would be so much more enlightening because we could do the Seder all night long. And, yeah. Right, right. Of course, and, and and that is not the case. So I think the 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 fact that that it you got to cop that moment. The fact that that the the mitzvah I, you don't have it if you if you extend it, I think is also tied into the anti mitzri anti mitzri mentality. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Right. And, 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 and that's, and, and even though when he talked about the difference between himself and, you know, the, the base Halevi, he said, you know, the difference between the base Halevi and myself is that both of us uh, are very worried before Pesach of how our matzahs were baked and the type of carefulness and uh, all the strictures and about did it become comments or not? Are these matzahs kosher? Let's look at them. Let's check the nefichos. The difference is, is that when the Beis Halevi made kiddush, he's still looking at it and saying, "Is this the shear? Is this not?" I'm checking out that matzah. Um, and throughout the seder, he, since he knows he has a mitzvah to be done, he is in fear that perhaps it wasn't right. And it, it's over it, the year of of Shmira Samitzvah is attacking him. Whereas for himself, when Pesach began and it's time to make Kiddush, he was just overwhelmed by the Simcha of, of the Kiyama Mitzvah, despite the fact that it was limited. And I think being able to, mm-hmm. to put those two together is really the trick. And actually being Besimcha over all the, the Kpedas Hazman and the Hidurim. And to actually relish that and to love it, even you know, it's almost like you know, it's like the ultimate, um, you know, the ultimate—I won't call it a game—but it's the ultimate in, enjoyable experience of okay, you know, we're off to the races. Okay, now we got to finish by this time, and now it's there, it's that, and to actually love the fact that you're able to, to, to experience that and to, and to embody all those things with Ava. And I think that's, I think that, that that's, that's the interesting trick to be able to, to be able to do, to be able to, to pull that's that off. That's the magic. Right. Right. <laughs> that's, but, the mag- that's the magic of, of right. Leila Seder. Right. And, 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 I, and, and what it taps into is, and again, tell me if I'm wrong here, it taps into sort of like, it's sort of like the eternality of our Nishoma. Right, you know. In other words, yeah, of course we can do this. Of course we can be besimcha, because ultimately we are in a in a in a way, you know, shutfim with God. We are as eternal as God is, and yet we are extremely happy that we are involved in this hanhoga, and 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 that that is that's really the only way you can really tap into that internal sense of simcha. Otherwise, the the, the base halevi is right. You know, if this is the mitzvah, you got to get it right. I mean, you, you you should be, you know, your nerves should be over overtaking you. Yeah. But but I think so the the anxiety is a significant thing here because remember, you know, when you the difference between the difference between, I guess, you know, from my point of view anyway, doing doing the Egyptian shita is that is that you everything is predictable, and you have absolutely absolute idea that it's going to work because because Paro has nothing less than the magic of the gods, you know, acting through him. Right. And so everything is everything is going to flow and and you know my anxiety at least at least in the religious sense of which where the direction that my life is going in is completely is completely absent. I know exactly where my life is going in. Mashain Kane, if you're following a Kaddish Baruch Hu, you know did I fulfill the mitzvah? Did I not fulfill the mitzvah? Am I am I really doing it right? Am I not doing it right? And at the at the at the same time, you have to have you know gilu bira oda because if if because in the end this is about love the 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 anxiety and the and the and the fear of approaching the infinite of approaching the ain cipher or approaching what an Egyptian would take as absolute terrifying chaos, which makes no sense. Okay, which okay, 
but we have to work through that anxiety in order to in order to uh, you know in order to be mistabic you know and so for us our netzach lies not so much in the in the in the frozen predictability of of uh, of uh, of jed time it 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 lies in the in the eternal ever living being of of the ein Saif. so it's a different kind of it's a different kind of netzach for sure all right, Nelson. Well, on that note, let us hope that we are able to achieve uh, both aspects, to understand the significance of of those moments and yet to be able, as the Nitziv said, to be able uh, to have a matzav of, of simcha, atzuma, overwhelming. So that's about it, my friends. We hope to uh, join you, Mitzvah after after Yontif, a Chag Kosher Sameach to all. Be well, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.